Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 137, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Everything is delicious. I just noticed that I... I don't like I'm one of these people who like I just like leave unanswered unopened emails in my inbox and like unopened texts in my inbox right people get very upset with me I don't care at all I have <laughs> 1111 unanswered emails this is thrilling oh my god I no one is allowed to email me or I'm gonna have to continue to start opening emails now which is a shame but anyway this is the exciting thing that's happened in my day how are you what a popular guy you are that many emails think of the wonderment contained therein and all the possibilities. I just, do I stay here or do I aim for 2,222 like a real go-getter? That's the question I'm facing. <laughs> to just go through them all in one day? You should read read all of your emails in one day for the podcast. How much important stuff are you going to find? Probably a lot, if we're being honest. <laughs> all right. So speaking of important stuff, look, there is a trade rumor out there that I wanted to talk to you about because Robbie Anderson, according to Manish uh, Meta of the... The New York Daily News is saying that the one in five Jets, go figure, are open to shopping people. And one of them is their speedy wideout, Robbie Anderson, who's kind of been a bit underperforming in this year, but also consider that he was also being thrown to by Luke Falk. But this guy is a uh, is a deep bear. Probably had his best year, 2017, 114 targets, 63 receptions, 941 yards. He had that 92-yard touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys. This might be the deep speed, and I've argued for him for Howie to, to bring this guy in. Not only last year, when the Eagles called about him, really liked him, wanted him more than Golden Tate, New York Jets were not ready to deal him, but right now he's on his restricted free agent tender, $3.6 million, does not have a new contract yet. 3.6? So he's possibly going to walk. Spodrick has 3.1. It's not like this matters or that I care. I just <laughs> didn't know that that was a number. Either way, 3.6, 3.1, they're both yeah. cheap numbers. You know, the Eagles will probably want to lock him into a new contract, possibly, unless it's like a another third round pick swap for a comp pick when he goes somewhere else and gets paid because the wide receiver market is stupid every offseason. But even as a rental or a possible long term deal, what do you think of the prospects of bringing in Robbie Anderson from the Jets to the Philadelphia Eagles? That's some juice to this offense. Like if we want to draw the line here, you know, so Robbie Anderson uh, is a Temple product who's Temple now tough. in New Yeah, now in New York. Uh, is obviously captained by Joe Douglas. Um, they tried to trade for him last year. The yep. story goes they offered the three. Yep. New York wanted a two, and accordingly they sent the three to Detroit for Golden Tate. So, so Philly product has been interest since 2018, and then yeah, you fold in the fact that Deshaun Jackson remains not on pace to return this week, and but it's just probably next week for the fourth week in a row. And even if he does return, he's not going to be 100% at any point. The guy needs surgery, really, at the end of the day. Well, I think the whole thing with the prolonged recovery is that they're trying to get him to 100%, I would imagine. Well, Doug said that he would he just, just wouldn't be. Okay, well, that's sad, Doug. But <laughs> I mean, it is. You know what I mean? Then, yeah, like, certainly yeah. if you're at a point where, man, I mean, if Deshaun is never going to be 100%, then yeah, I mean, Robert, <laughs> come on down. 
<laughs> as Mike said, no, uh, uh, Robbie Anderson, a player who uh, is known best for a deep threat, has a career 15 yards per catch. I believe it is. Uh, he runs. He runs a sub four four forty. He's now twenty six. Believe yeah. twenty six. Twenty six. So yeah, no. This profile is not only as a guy that you want to add for the immediate, but a guy who you might want to add for the long term. The big complaint with the Eagles' receiving core is that it lacks speed. Robbie Anderson's going to cost you about one and a half million over the remainder of the season. And he's speed. And if you're even able to add a 80% to Sean Jackson back into the fold, there's room the for speed. speed on there's room for speed on both sides of the field, I'm here to tell you. you know Is there? I mean? Yeah. Dude, there's not a cap yeah. to the the Eagles offense, if you watch it over the last couple of years, you might think you're only allowed to have one fast guy out there, but actually <laughs> the, I checked the rule book and it turns out you can have two. Fascinating. It probably starts at less than the three that the Eagles offered last year. Robbie Anderson's value has depreciated since then. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up back there. Of course, it is a different uh, general managing staff that you're negotiating with here. You got to think, too, that the Jets know that when he hits the market, someone will overpay for him. And he'll they'll end up netting either a fourth round compensatory or possibly even a third round compensatory. They just right. have to wait another year for that to hit, depending on what happens. Right. Here's what we have to remember. We draw that line, but it's not as neat as it seems because obviously, right. one, it's like the relative contracts. But then two, you have to play the game of signing less free agents that calculate the formula than you lost. And the Jets are not in a position to be like, let's limit the number of players we bring in. They got a ton of money and no talent. Yeah, right. That's it true. Was, right. Like Eagles fans were kind of prescient of that formula because we were never going to be bringing in a ton of high priced free agents this past year. But when mm-hmm. we say, oh, and let them walk and then bring back a, a fourth round in the comp formula, that only works if, you, if you're familiar with how the comp pick formula works. If you sign less less compensatory pick uh, you know qualifying free agents if you sign less then you let go then mm-hmm. you get the picks back for the extra ones that you let let go and so for the jets to ensure that they got the pick back from robbie would have to play free agency quieter than i'm sure joe douglas wants to so i'm yeah, not as true. sure that it's 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 as clean cut of a comp pick situation for the Jets. Like, oh, well, we're going to get a four anyway for him. You know, I don't know if it's that neat. Which is really good for the Eagles because they don't they lose that that kind of they don't have that mentality because if they are going to bring in a bunch of people, I'm sure Joe Douglas is going to going to want to do a roster overhaul. He hasn't had a chance to do anything right. with this roster really, you know, in an off season. Now knowing that that you're probably not going to get that comp pick back if you want to spend money money in free agency. Now you're thinking, well, we need to get something for this guy because we're not re-signing him and he's just going to walk for See, Scott. Why not? Why not come away with and it? And that and that's the thing is that like the the Eagles had interest in Robbie Anderson last year. It's worth noting that the guy who was in charge of the personnel department in Philly last year is now in charge of the personnel department in New York. So if mm. Philly, the building, liked Robbie Anderson last year, <laughs> we've heard the reports that the Jets want to move him, but there's a chance that now the Jets building likes Robbie Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know. It wasn't Douglas, who yeah. was a fan of, of, of Anderson then and is still a fan of Anderson now. This could be, you know, like, you know, looking at, like you said, the the calculus of it on the on the the comp pick sheet, the calculus of it, on the you know what returns matter to us, we have to reload this roster anyway. What pieces can we move to start our rebuild? But this is not to say the Jets are like you know like you said like what can we get for this guy? It may not be there. There may be yeah. a strong enough faction in that front office that wants to resign this dude. Uh, he like you said he signed his RFA tender, so now he's uh, an unrestricted free agent after this upcoming year. But the Jets still have money to throw at him if they want to. So all this to say, 
Round three, round four pick for Robbie Anderson. What say you, yay or nay? Yay. Yay. I'm yay on that. Uh, okay. And if there's a uh, if there's a solution to the Eagles receiving core that is actually like you know uh, expedient and effective, this is probably the one. Like Manny Sanders wasn't it? Thirty two years old. He was going to take multiple picks to get. Robbie Anderson is cheap and he's fast, and then he can be gone next year if it makes sense, or if you want to try to sign him next year. Obviously, you have him in the building before anybody else, and free agents tend to like to be in this building. So, that yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I'll, I'm interested to take a, a longer look at it, but I expect if the Jets are going to get calls from anybody, yeah, Philly's going to be one of them. You know what's crazy? Look, look at their wide receiver depth chart. Don't tell me what to do. Okay. Javarius Thomas, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Berrios. By the way, all three banged up, all three questionable. Josh Bellamy <laughs> and Vincent Smith, the limestone Vincent product. Smith! Who follows us everywhere. Everywhere we go, there's Vincent Smith. I love that guy. Yep. Dude, this team needs Quincy Anunwa back and healthy in a big way. (laughs) Major way. They are so deprived of everything, man. It's ugly for them. What about it? Did did you mention a second? Would you do a second for Robbie Anderson? No, thank you. That's like, yeah, that's too much for me. Okay, okay. So if another team that's probably going to end up with a lower pick than the Eagles, we don't know how low that is because... Look what's happening to I was the Eagles. To say, that's not as clean. Again, that's not as easy of an <laughs> assumption as it perhaps was in the beginning of the season. Let's say a team that you, you probably know is going to be in the top 10. Let's say that they give up a third. Do you think Howie makes a mistake if he doesn't come back with a second or at least like a third and maybe like a like a sixth or something? You know what I mean? Like some sort of better offer? Yes and no. Because is it a mistake because that player would have made your offense better in a way that we can measurably point to and say this team needs a deep threat? Yes, it's a mistake. You didn't go and get him. But the no is, yeah, but there's a lot of work the coaching staff and the players could be doing to solve this problem that's not getting done as well. So it's not just like the buck stops with Howie. That's true. You know what yeah, I mean? that's true. Right? Like, like, yes, this is the trade deadline. So this is Howie's moment in invisibility to make a move to solve the issue of the offense lacking wide receiver talent, lacking uh, multiple dynamic threats on the outside, and lacking a deep threat. But also, if Nelson Aguilar were playing better football, we wouldn't be here, right? And if we were getting, you know, uh, better downfield looks from what's being designed on offense, we wouldn't be here. And if we're not going to get there, then yeah, it's on Roseman. But also, like, you know, there's there's more to improving the offense than just throwing picks at every available player on the trade deadline. Disagree. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, I, I, I get your point. I'd much rather be paying Robbie Anderson $9.4 million as opposed to Nelson Aguilar. Right I'd now, rather be playing nine of, neither of the $9.4 million, but yes. Well, neither. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. You, you got to wonder, too, because the Eagles part of it, too, is can we sign this guy to a contract as well? What does that contract look like? How does it fit in? There's a lot of different moving parts to that. So that's something that we are going to be tracking. Lord knows as soon as we put this puppy up that the trade's going to happen. Okay. We will seem very prescient in our expectations <laughs> and comments on the price, I hope. Okay, before we move on, just just a quick prediction. Do you think the Eagles trade for Robbie Anderson, yes or no? No. I think they try to. You think they try to and it's a no? Yeah, okay. I think they try to and the price is too high. I also mm. think that if they're going to, if they have a choice between trading for uh, a wide receiver or a defensive tackle, they're going to take defensive tackle. Wait, yeah, so we're starting Albert Higgins? Albert Huggins? Yeah. I don't even know the dude's name. What about Leonard Williams? Bring Leonard Williams in. Just, just get, all, get all the Jets because they're a good team. That's my thing is like, if I'm on the phone about Robbie and that conversation dies out a little bit, I'm like, hey. Uh, I'm like, hey. <laughs> 96. Is that his yeah. number? 90? 96? I can't remember. Hey, uh, oh, Big Cat. 
Leonard Big Cat Williams. That's what they call him at USC. What are we talking? That's the old bait and switch. Call yeah, about exactly Robbie. Right. Just to get him on the phone with Robbie. But then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm asking questions about Leonard. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this show, for the rest of the show anyway, is going to be the start of our two-part series of the Philadelphia Eagles against the Buffalo Bills. Today, we are going to be previewing the Bills offense against the Eagles defense. To start that out, we need to look at the injury report so we can kind of figure out who might be playing, who might who might not be, who is banged up, all that good stuff. Philadelphia Eagles injury report from Thursday did not participate. Nigel Bradham is still out with an ankle Wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. Defensive tackle Timmy Jernigan still dealing with the foot. Cornerback Avante Maddox hasn't been cleared for anything with a concussion in the neck. Offensive tackle Jason Peters with the knee. And then running back Darren Sproles with the quad. I imagine that entire list is out, not playing. I think Bradham is is definite and out. I mean, unless he practices tomorrow, I think that's really going to be telling the the Friday. We're recording on Thursday night, by the way. The Friday injury report is going to be more telling, but I'm just going to say no right now. It's weird. Like, here's my thing. Yeah. Do we know what this injury is? All I know is like foot, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've seen nothing about it. Fletcher Cox's illness was just him getting this. Yeah. Fletcher Cox's illness was him trying to beat up house invaders. We have no idea. This could totally be like a Jalen Mills foot situation. I'm I'm still not 100% positive that Jalen Mills has a real foot, that it's not a prosthetic foot. That'll bear itself out over the next few weeks. He's going to get a PBU on a on a double mover. His foot flies off, and he actually finally defends. I love how you said that. That'll bear out over the next few weeks, like it's an actual piece of analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll we'll really find out what uh, Mac Collins is made of over the next few weeks, and uh, also if Jim Mills has a real left foot or not. We'll find that out. <laughs> Brother, at this point, that's that's just the way it is. Full participation, Lane Johnson with an illness. I guess there's an illness going around. The uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's that's great. Buffalo Bills injury report for Thursday. Did not participate. Safety Kurt Coleman with a uh, hamstring. Former Eagles great. Running back Frank Gore. Just it's just rest. That is say uh, yeah. It's you know him greasing his joints. Eagles great <laughs> Frank Gore. By the way, I don't know why you would say that about Kurt Coleman and not say it about Frank Gore. That's a great. You didn't give me time. I was I was gonna get it in there. Yeah, also, okay. uh, they gave rest to Jerry Hughes, the edge defender. And star Lotu Lele, the defensive tackle. Limited participation. Oh, wow. The whole Carolina team is really on this defense, huh? It really is. Yeah, Matt boy, Sean. Proud of you. <laughs> McDermott brought them all with him, brother. Cornerback uh, Kevin Johnson dealing with a neck. He was limited. Linebacker Matt Milano. This is an important one with a hamstring. Uh, I talked with a lot of people in Buffalo Radio and podcasting this week, and they say he's pretty important to the middle of that defense. When I've watched him, he's really impressed me. So if they get him back, that'll be big for them. Also, linebacker Corey Thompson dealing with an ankle. Wide receiver Duke Williams hit on a on a pretty pass from from Josh Allen last week. Uh, came down hard on his shoulder. He is limited. Full participation. Linebacker Lorenzo Alexander with rest. Why is that? Why are they listing that as rest? What is this? John Brown he with fully rest. Fully participated they, in a, in a restful fashion. What kind of rest is that? Anyway, I'm going to ignore all those. Uh, Patrick Demarco, their fullback. We might have to talk about some 21 personnel. He's dealing with an ankle and Quentin Spain, the guard with a foot. So I think Matt Milano is the biggest one there, especially for their defense. But we'll get into that in the defensive preview. Ben, any other takeaways from the injury report as a whole before we move on? Next time I go to go to bed, I'm going to say I'm about to full participate in this rest. <laughs> <laughs> about to full participate in this rest for an evening, let me tell you. <laughs> No, I um yeah no the, the I would be a limited participant in the uh, in the family movie as I scroll through Twitter. Right, the big one I'm watching for is Bradham, as I said, because mm. 
I mean, it's, and then you said we got to talk about some 21 personnel things. I don't really know what the plan is at backup fullback, which is a whole thing I just said in the 21st century, uh, might <laughs> be for the Buffalo Bills. But this team, you've heard us say on this podcast before, this team is going to try to put seven to eight offensive players in the box. They're going to bring in two backs. They're going to bring in two tight ends. And that means that Schwartz is going to put three linebackers on the field. And there's no Nigel Bradham. That means Kamugu J. Hill, Nate Gary, and TJ Edwards. And that's not going to go well. Let's start this out by recognizing that I'm sure there are going to be Bills fans listening to this. And, and, and shout out to some of those in Bills media that have had me on their shows after I've been pretty critical of the Bills, especially of this offense. Because I called them a paper tiger when they were 4-1. and one. I called their offense inept and laid out why I thought that was the case. I still think it's the case. You run down the list, 23rd in DVOA. 22nd in points per game. I mean, you talk about the Eagles' early offensive struggles. Buffalo averages only nine points in the first half. 20th in touchdown drive frequency. 24th in third down conversions. Their saving grace is the fifth-ranked rushing attack per DVOA. Their offensive line is first in adjusted line yards per football outsiders, which we talk about. And they're second in the red zone. But what the red zone efficiency tells me, they're second there. They're just not getting to the red zone because otherwise their points per game would be much higher. So they're stalling out. Uh, but I got to be careful here before it sounds like I'm puffing out my chest here because the Eagles defense has given up 24 and 27 first half points the last two games, 38 and 37 total. The only opponent that they've held under 24 points this season has been the Luke Falk led Jets. So let's not what get too cocky Luke over here. Doing right now? I don't know. Is he even on a practice squad somewhere? Let's find out. Is he is he beefing up? Is he eating a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and trying to be a backup fullback for uh, DeMarco? He's a free agent. The starting quarterback for the Jets was cut when Sam Donald came back, and nobody even wanted to sign him. Did he? He didn't get drafted in the XFL draft. That's a shocker. Uh, not that I see. Look, this is weakness versus weakness, and for all of its faults, at whatever point in time, the Eagles typically have a top tier red zone. They rank 17th this year, so it's hard for me to be confident about this game, especially when you throw in the fact that the defense can't tackle, as we talked about in the film review show creating 28th in the league as a team in that regard per PFF. So as, as much as I don't like this Bills offense, I don't know how much faith I have in the Eagles defense. Ben, how, what is your the feeling about this game coming into this? In the beginning of the week, I said, you know, I don't really have much of a, a much, as you said, like faith in Philadelphia at this point, you know, kind of rode with them in a game in Minnesota that was going to be tight, rode with them in a game uh, with the Cowboys that was going to be tight. And it turns out both those games weren't tight. And now here's a game with Buffalo that should be tight. I'm nowhere, you know what I mean? And, and 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 what it goes back to is like we project positive change off of the previous week's issues, but we've been discussing the same issues for the defense especially over the last month. So Forever. there's not really yeah. much more positive change to be projecting when you uh hope that they match up favorably against a team like the Buffalo Bills. Now, uh, the Eagles have not lost 3 games in a row since 2016. The rookie year of Carson Wentz in the first year of Doug Peterson's tenure. They never lost three in a row in 2017, which obviously they lost like three regular season games. Uh, but then also they they in, in 2018 even, they were fits and starts, but they never dropped three in a row. And the Bills are kind of putting them in that spot right here also, as we saw in the one and two game against the Packers. The Green Bay was a three and O team, was a class of the NFC. The Eagles... We're in a spot where they needed to get a win to get back to 500. They needed a get-right game after some discombobulation, and they got it. Now, you're asking the team to get up again before even the first half of the season for a second get-right game to fight back to 500. Eventually, you run out of capital there, right? 
Yeah. That, you usually only get one of those. It's tough to get two, and it's especially tough to get two when you're not even like you know tight to the end of the season here, and you can see the finish line. And so I'm not super sold that the Eagles are gonna necessarily come out and like you know get right and right the ship and show the team that they're supposed to be. I think we're getting closer to this is what their identity is right now, while they're still dealing with injury and uncertainty of the quarterback cornerback position. Excuse me, a terrible, devastating injury of the defensive tackle position thin cores at linebacker, and then an offense that's struggling to find an identity. Uh, so this might just be who they are right now. We'll see if they're able to get people healthy, add a couple players in the trade deadline. Maybe that will help them, you know, return back to what we expected them to be. So yeah, not a ton of faith uh, either for me from the Eagles side of things. And when it comes to specifically like what we're going to see against Buffalo, you know, you mm. say weakness against weakness. Yeah, like Buffalo's 24th in offensive points per game. Uh, and the Eagles, like you've said over the past few weeks, have been especially bleeding points. The way that the the the, the Bills run their offense is not as conducive to stressing corners as, say, the Cowboys was, and as, say, what the Vikings came out and did, right? The Vikings yeah, came out and ran, you know, play-action sets and two wide receiver route concepts and deep shots. When the Bills come out for play-action, they're trying to work tight ends and slot receivers. Well, that's Philadelphia is better against those those positions historically and especially this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, you know, their titular outside receiver is John Ross. And Ross is the, uh, uh, or excuse me, not John Ross, John Brown, my apologies. They're both fast, they're both small. Ross is, it has been a relative, oh, that's it, Ross again. Brown. John <laughs> Brown, Smoke Brown, has been a relatively consistent target for them in terms he's at 80 80 yards per game he's catching over 70 percent of his passes 14 yards per reception but there just isn't right there just isn't much consistency in terms of of allen and brown's connection down the field and then everybody else they've uh, they've uh, they've you know since cut zay jones who's still fourth highest in the team in targets after being cut cole beasley is an underneath player Dawson Knox, they're trying to get him more downfield looks. Allen's really struggling to throw anything outside the numbers to him. Yeah. And then after that, it's back touches. And that's the thing about Josh Allen is that if he doesn't have it deep, he doesn't always feel the need to hang in there. He very infrequently works to a second read, developing across the intermediate levels of the field. If he's looking deep and he feels like he doesn't have it, it's tuck and go. And I admire that about the Bills defense, a uh, Bills offense. I think that's the correct way to coach around a player like Josh Allen. Yeah. But it does inherently introduce the question of is this offense markedly, notably, importantly bad enough at the one thing the Eagles really can't do, which is cover deep down the field with their corners, that the Eagles defense won't give up 30 points in this game? Yeah, right. Like I like I wouldn't put my house on it. But in the same way where like I like thought the Eagles defense was going to be able to stop the Minnesota rushing attack and hold down the offense because I thought Minnesota was going to call the game a certain way, but there was always that chance Kirk Cousins was going to go off for 404. I think that that Josh Allen and and, and his receiving core and and what you're going to get from Brian Dabble is going to be attacking the Eagles' weaknesses at corner. Obviously, if there's no Bradham, there's huge coverage liabilities at linebacker as well, so it could be a big Dawson-Knox game. You could have, you know, uh, uh, their running back target situation is weird. They're pretty evenly split between Yeld and Singletary and Gore, but you could be getting, uh, you know, a good amount of running back looks to take advantage of those linebackers as Dallas did. So I still, like, you know, I think that that, that the Bills are going to move the ball the same way the other teams have been able to move the ball. I still think the Eagles' defense is going to generally be a liability, going to bleed points, going to bleed uh, yardage. 
But I do see a reality where the Bills kind of continue to smash their head against big boxes because they try to go big to run the football, and that's going to introduce the Eagles' numbers into the box of what they want. And then if Allen's not accurate to the outside of the numbers, which he typically isn't, Eagles get lucky with a pick, Eagles get lucky with a pass breakup, missed throw on third down, all of a sudden you got another turnover and two more punts that you weren't supposed to get. And, you know, the game looks a lot more in reach than the Eagles are accustomed to because they're not in a 14-point hole five minutes into the game. And when they're not trying to load the box, you're going to see a lot of empty sets from this Buffalo offense. And if I'm Buffalo, brother, I'm just, I got three on one side. I got John Brown on the other side somewhere. And I'm just trying to run them straight at Rasul Douglas or Jalen Mills because they cannot keep pace. And you hope, you know, the Eagles flood coverage to one side and maybe Josh Allen can hit one of those deep balls. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks of the league at hitting those this year. But like you said, they're going to have to hit those shots. They're going to have to try them. I will say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm apprehensive of endorsing empty strongly for Buffalo for a couple reasons. One, it tells Philly you're probably not running it. And that's, I think, right. to Philadelphia's advantage because they can actually go split safety. Bless the living Lord. Do you think it's a big uh, Cole Beasley game, though? But but continue. But that's I mean, sure. But again, like, I'll put it to you this way. If it's a big, big Cole Beasley game isn't like 30 points. <laughs> right. Here's my thing. If it's a big yeah. Cole Beasley game, that's a win for Philadelphia. I agree. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. so fine <laughs> with Cole Beasley beating us. Right, because the Beasley and like Beasley's had good games against Philadelphia before, right? But we're talking about what, like, ten catches, eighty yards, and a touchdown, if it, like a big Beasley game, right? Like, and even if it's huger than that, even if it's a career game for for Beasley, I would rather Beasley nickels and dimes the Eagles' defense to death, and they have every opportunity to make a tackle short of the sticks, and they have every opportunity to to, to get physical with him within five yards, versus John Brown having three catches. I got the name right. For 125 yards and two touchdowns. That's the yeah, fear. Much, yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like at this point, beat me any way you want. As long <laughs> as it's that. not with the freaking outside <laughs> receivers. Let's take that away. Let's force something else. Right? Yeah. So so, yeah, so that's kind of my 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 thought there. Now, oh yeah, Beasley's career game is an 11 target, 9 reception, 112 yards and two touchdowns in that overtime loss. Oh no, this was 2015. Um, but that was another loss. The Eagles to the... Uh, to the Cowboys, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, that's great. Let's go to break, and then we'll uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll right. get into uh, the, the rest of this matchup. Since Ben's being a bummer over here about Cole Beasley, well, that's I was coming. just curious what like a big Cole Beasley game looked like. <laughs> it's not big at all. We'll be right back. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 137. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. This is all brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and, of course, SB Nation. Uh, ben, while you were looking up the, the Cole Beasley stuff, I did want to mention that for the Eagles, like success for them against Josh Allen has just got to be letting this guy be what he is. And that's a bad decision maker. Right. Force him into those bad decisions. Those typically happen when he's forced to roll out. So you got to clean up that escape lane to the right, to the ball hand, something that they failed to do, for example, against Aaron Rodgers. If he's moving, he's already in run mode, unlike Rodgers. If he's moving, he this guy, this guy wants to run. But if you can take away those running lanes and you can force him to switch back to passing mode, that's when it doesn't click in his brain real well. That's when he does the stupid stuff, like throw across his body across the middle of the field like he did against the Patriots a whole bunch. He is going to give the Eagles opportunities to capitalize. They have to. This is like when we were talking about the the Bears playoff game last year. 
and I, and I said, Mitch Trubisky is going to give you chances to get some interceptions. And let me make it clear. I would much rather have Allen than Trubisky, especially now. But going into that game, I said the opportunities for interceptions would be there. You got to get them. And very early in that playoff game, Maddox almost had a pick. Make the most of the chances that he gives you and set your offense up with some short fields because they're going to need it against the Bills defense on the road to be successful, right. in my opinion. Yeah, so the, the 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 story of the book, which is not how that expression goes, the <laughs> book on Josh Allen as such. Number one, he's going to run it on pass plays, and he's going to get design run plays, right? So yeah. we have to be cognizant of, and I know I said against empty, the Eagles will be able to go split field because they're not going to be afraid of the running game, but you still have to watch out for what Josh Allen's going to do. They will yep. design power runs for him. Multiple pullers, and he's a big dude. He's Carson Wentz's size. He'll come up and he'll hit you, and they'll send motion. John Brown. Uh, who's the other guy they like to send in motion? I'm trying to remember. Is McKenzie? Oh, yes. He says, thank you. Yeah, I was about to say it's the returner. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, so these, these are our nifty dudes who can make the first guy miss and have some home run speed. Those players, they will send a motion on jet looks, even with players in the backfield. And now it's a, it's a split zone look. It could be a jet sweep, back away motion, which is really deceptive for linebackers, especially ones whose names rhyme with Gate Nary. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Josh Allen's got the ball, and it's a one-on-one in space with a, with a safety. And, and the, the Bills like that matchup, and rightfully so. So, yeah. there, right, so that. Uh, so you have to be cognizant of the run. As a passer... Very simple, right? If you are able to eliminate the first read, yep, terror, right? And I talk about eliminating the first read. It's an it's a valuable framework for all quarterbacks. Carson Wentz is one where I think it's specifically important for Josh Allen. It's paramount. It's ten, it, it is Josh Allen. It, it's the crux upon which the seesaw swings, right? If you are able to eliminate Allen's first read, you're going to force him number one to reset his feet to the field to identify his second read. This does not go well for Josh Allen. Metaphor that I had for this, I told Mark Schofield on the QB Sco show, I said pocket management is, is the quiet art of subtle movements, and Josh Allen is breaking all the noise ordinances in his neighborhood because he is just, he's an elephant back there. I was about to say, to right? Movements. Yeah, no, he's a rhinoceros banking, you know what I mean? There's a lot of steps <laughs> going on. So, so you're going to ask him to reset his feet. And then number two, He's going to now have to process post-snap. And I love Brian Dabble. I love Brian Dabble. Brian Dabble is a good offensive coordinator. I have long held the theory, I agree. which I don't expect people to be, uh, agree with me on, but I don't care. Sean McVay. And then if you were to like be like, oh, who's like Sean McVay and what they do? You'd get Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, and Zach Taylor, right? In terms of around the league. To me, you should throw Brian Dabble in that mix. Because the use of empty formations... The use of tight and nasty alignments, so tight bunch reduced formations to force cover three. Uh, the use of jet motion to widen the defense. McVeigh and Dabble are two of the best, if not the best in the league at these items. Dabble is not as reliant on his own scheme, and that is in large part because of what he has at running back in Frank Gore, in Devin Singletary, and in Josh Allen. Uh, and he's also not as... Uh, neat and and clean cut on the under center play action running game versus the shotgun drop back empty game. You know they'll they'll do they'll conflate those tendencies more. So he's not as austere as McVeigh along those lines. Um, but there are plays like like the 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 Bills have successfully ran multiple times this year and will successfully run against Philadelphia because it's going to attack their linebackers. Play action dagger out of a trips reduced set. Mm-hmm. It is. McVeigh and it's the same play and it's a bread and butter play for them on like third and seven it's the same play 
And McVay yeah. is is boy genius, and Brian Dabble's just some dude in Buffalo, right? And so this is just to, to say that I think Dabble really, really deserves more and more looks in the sun than he gets. That's dangerous too with Brown because I saw that I saw them hit that in in the film when I was going through Brown's receptions. They hit a dagger like that to him. I'm thinking with the way that the Eagles have struggled to overlap zones and get get connected. You get John Brown coming across the middle of the field. That guy might that, right. that might be a house call. <laughs> yeah, right. And then the thing is like, oh, don't worry. Like Andrew Sandejo will be there to tackle him. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm like, screw that. They're just right. done. Um, so exactly. all this all this to say, take away Josh Allen's first read. Well, he has a offensive coordinator right now who's best at getting him to his first read, better than anybody he's had coordinated offense for him before. And critically. It's not a first read that's a, a quick breaking slant. This team does not run slants. I think we need to have a conversation about this. Allen can't throw them, so they don't run them. Which, like for a, a West Coast offense, not run slants is <laughs> it's like driving a car with three wheels. It's amazing. Yeah, he's been pretty short, accurate in the short to intermediate area, but for some reason with slants, I don't know if it's just the the, the speed at which they're carrying it a certain. Dire- I don't know what it is. It just right. does not click with Josh Allen. He so he likes routes that ride and break vertically as opposed to horizontally if yeah. you give this guy a hitch instead of a slant do it i mean mm-hmm. even when they run dagger brown does not go flying across the middle of the field he'll sit versus zone and just hit him on yep. a line right and so allen does not seem to process horizontal flight paths nicely which man if only we could have told this from his wyoming film on um, screens <laughs> right so so he, right. He, right he's better at throwing those hitches uh, and now, and what I will say is, like, you know, we we make these claims. They're not blanket claims. You know what I mean? There was a throw against Miami where uh, they were running one of those. Oh man, I can't. Uh, why they were running like a a, a a similar concept to leak, right? They had they had a, they had a deep cross oh. going behind two verticals. Beautifully yeah. layers a ball like like the the Dallas Goddard touchdown. Beautifully layers a ball to one of his tight ends. Can't remember who. Um, and it was a very nice throw, like on the run, like, you know, footwork dropping, everything was great. It's just from a consistency perspective, it's not there with Allen. So, you know, we don't want to disparage him too much. Um, this, all this going to say, not only does Dabble give him his first read frequently and effectively, he gives it to him vertically. These are not first reads that are three yards, five yards, six yards deep. He's hitting, you know, Dawson Knox on pop passes off play action, 14 yards down the field, Right. He's hitting Cole Beasley on 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 uh, out and ups and on double moves, sixteen yards down the field. Josh Allen right now is ninth in intended air yards at nine point one. So this ball is going down the field, right? And he comes out quick. His his time to throw numbers are conflated by how when he gets pressured, he you know chicken with his head cuts off behind the line of scrimmage, and he's you know he's six seven seconds into a snap trying to find a throw down the field. <laughs> but this, he's able to get, Dabble's got an offense that gets the ball out quick, but it does not sacrifice depth of target. And it's very impressive. Uh, you got to be able to take away that first read. The easiest way, play man coverage. Can the Eagles do this? No. No. Next easiest way, <laughs> drop seven into zones. Don't bite against play action. Can the Eagles do right. this? No. no. What's going to happen on Sunday? Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. And and let's let's uh, make some predictions since we don't know. The line for this game brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook is at one and a half favorites are the Bills. So underdogs, yep. Eagles at one and a half points. The over under is at 43. Let's just call it 22 to 21. So does this You're Buffalo? So I have a hard time believing math. this Buffalo Bills offense scores more than twenty-one. How many times have they scored more than twenty-one? That, this they're season? implied. They're implied twenty-two, not twenty-one. Same, same question. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah and, so and, right, and so plus a point. They've averaged nineteen offensive points per game this year. So do you think the Eagles' defense is bad enough to spot them three points? I do. Oh God. 
But that's it's sixteen. Wait, no, so it's seventeen. 28 against the Giants, 21 against the Bengals. Roughly as bad as the Bengals' defense. Wow. A sentence I hoped I would never hear say in my living days. We're roughly as bad as the Bengals' defense. That is rough. That's rough to think about, man. At home, I think it kind of, I think it really depends on how the offense does against the defense. If the offense can sustain things, they're just not fast starters, though. I don't have a whole lot of trust in, in, in Allen to hit the deep ball. I don't think they can. It's tough. Over. It's over to me, and I think that, yeah, like I said, you know, dear God, let me please lose in a different way than outside receivers murdering these isolated, <laughs> desperate, desolate, destitute corners. But <laughs> with the injuries at linebacker and the Eagles' uninspired uh, zone coverages, like you said, inability to overlap zones, uh, they're not really throwing many, many change-ups, not successfully running any trap coverages, which, like, we haven't even talked about that this year. Because we've been dealing with other stuff, but like the Eagles don't even yeah. have any like curveballs or changeups in their defensive play calling right. at all. They're telling you, they're telling you this is what it is, and hopefully the pass rush can get there. Which we haven't even talked about right. the pass rush, but th- yeah, that should be okay the for them on the edges. Bills offensive know. line, right? Yeah, um, but regardless, I think there's going to be enough open passes in the intermediate areas of the field behind the linebackers, working those quick concepts that are able to stay between the numbers but get up beyond the second level. Allen's got the arm strength to make those throws. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think that that this is you know we're gonna make Josh Allen look good on Sunday, which is a tall task. But this defense is up for it. I'm taking the over. Okay, so we're both taking the over on the Buffalo Bills offense. Words I never thought I would speak yeah, coming into the season. Sad day. Yeah, speaks volumes of how I feel about this Eagles defense, and I would absolutely love for them to prove me wrong. So next time here on the Kiss and Solak show, we're going to flip sides of the ball. Ben, you got anything else before we get out of here? Or you just want to say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Yeah, exactly. It's been a depressing week to talk about the Eagles, brother. I've had to go on Bill's show and say, like, different Bill's shows and say, hey, man, you're probably going to win because yeah. <laughs> we're playing like dog crap. Uh, Zach Berman of The Athletic just tweeted this out. Okay, so mm. Eagles offense has been playing from behind on X percent of their snaps this season. Okay. Uh, they played from behind on 51.6% in 2018. On 28% of their snaps were they behind in 2017. What do you think the 2019 number is? So 28% in 2017, 52% in 2018. What do you think the 2019 number is? While trailing? Yeah, so not just trailing or tied, while trailing. 85%. Oh my god, no. That's amazing, no. The Jets <laughs> game was a whole game, dude. 69%. Nice. What brother, take out the Jets game, what do you think it is? Right. I agree. Um <laughs> the Jets game Which, was seventy snaps they took with the amount yeah, of turnovers. I've I, I put that entire game out of my head. It doesn't count for anything. Right, remember exactly. they were the so, six rank DVOA defense after that game. Exactly. <laughs> um yeah, so no, sixty nine percent of their snaps this season, which nice. is to say again, like Trail like it tied is not incorporated into this metric, which is unbelievable. Only thirty percent of their offensive snaps have the Eagles been either tied or leading this year. That's an abysmal. That's how you get a quarterback to press, you know? Right. As <laughs> I saw as a headline, which I honestly, I don't even remember which publication this was, so I'm not slandering it, but I saw the, the public uh, headline today, which was how much of this is Carson Wentz's fault. That was the headline. <laughs> and I was like, probably the 38 points to the Vikings. Yeah. I don't, I don't probably the bottom of the list as Chris Long would, would, would uh, argue. Yeah. Oh man, brother. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. That's enough for today. Hello. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to what is a um, a sadder tone. Actually, it's not true. We still made a lot of jokes. Uh, it was a more yeah. bleak outlook 
uh, for the Eagles defense against the Bills offense. This, of course, is the first half of your preview show as you prepare for the Eagles and the Bills on Sunday. Uh, The Eagles offense against the Bills defense, the second half of this matchup, will be previewed for you uh, and ready in your feeds by Saturday, of course, in order to miss no episodes of any previews, any recaps, or any All-22 uh, shows, you have to make sure you subscribe on iTunes or whatever app you listen to your podcast. Please go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe as well. If you are fans of the feed, speaking of the feed, Bleeding Green Nation main show, Gowan and Kemsky. Kemsky, by the way, had the great tweet this week as well about how the Bills' five opponents they've beaten have a combined point differential of minus 360 or something like that. Which Paper is Tigers. Yeah, legit <laughs> shocking. Uh, so Kemsky and Gowan, and then, of course, Town and Wilson on the Babes on Broad podcast. Uh, I would also uh, doubly recommend that you subscribe because if and when the Eagles make a move at the trade deadline, which is this upcoming Tuesday, I believe the 29th, uh, hmm. we will have, hopefully get you guys prepared for that uh, very quickly with, with our recap show. And so make sure you're subscribed because we can always be dropping one of those fresh emergency pods. Uh, he's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist and NFL, it's KST. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. We will catch you tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly, for God's sakes, be Eagles. <laughs>